You're listening to Reimagined Radio. Real talk, real life, real magic. that is all about helping you find the love you want in your life and loving the life you have right now. World-class experts, thought-provoking topics, and conversations and tools that are going to help you live the life you really want starting today. So pour yourself a cup of tea, have a seat, and get ready to join Love, Life, and Law of Attraction. Hello, everybody. This is Lisa Hayes. I am coming to you from a beautiful sunny day in Washington State. I can't believe how gorgeous it is outside. I am so appreciating the weather. You have no idea. Um, Today we're going to do a show that is kind of probably unusual, and it might rub some people the wrong way, because we are really going to turn some rules upside down in terms of how most of us do life. And I I think, I don't think, I know, we all operate in our lives through a lens or a set of programs that most of the time we don't even see. I think that's one of the reasons that coaching is so incredibly beneficial is because we can't see our own programming. I mean, some of it probably gets passed down to us from our ancestors, through our DNA. Most of it we acquire through childhood not just from our parents or our families, but at school and as we are growing up and we sort of learned that the world operates a certain way and that some things are really, really important and other things are really, really unimportant, that there are things that we strive towards and things that we try and avoid. And that programming just runs us. And most of the time, we don't question that programming because like I said, you can't see it. You just assume that certain things are true or the way they are, and there's nothing you can do about it. And yet, sometimes it doesn't serve us. And even even when we know that things aren't working quite right in our lives or we're not getting the kinds of results we want, sometimes we don't have enough sort of bird's eye clarity to be able to recognize that it's a programming issue, that it's something that's going on in the back end of your behavior that you aren't aware of, that you may not have a lot of very specific or intentional control over. And so when we really look at some of these programming programming points, or what I would say programming glitches, reprogramming isn't as, isn't as easy as just awareness. I mean, we've been practicing being a certain way for a very, very long time. And sometimes reprogramming requires some really significant effort. And Sometimes it's easier, a shortcut on that reprogramming is to swing wildly in a different direction with your intentional behaviors or your intentional thoughts or ideas, and then eventually you sort of level off at a more functional midpoint. And that's kind of what we're going to talk about today, because I'm going to pitch three what I think are probably wildly unusual concepts at you, and then I'd like you to play with them a little bit. And as you play with them, I think that as the expansion of your programming happens, 
you will likely settle in to a more effective, more functional way of seeing and being in your life. That programming starts to expand and create other possibilities that may not have been there because you're just approaching things with a different attitude, a a more, I don't know, a more expansive attitude that allows in things that you couldn't see before, things that might have always been there, but you couldn't access because you were sort of being, you had blinders on, like horse blinders. You could see what was right in front of you, but not was in the periphery. So let's start. First one, and I think this one is one that people have a tremendous amount of problems with, and it's going gonna, it's gonna to feel a little edgy, but try this one on for size. Assume that no one likes you and get totally okay with that. Be totally all right with it. Like just start with the running belief that nobody likes you. So you don't have to be on that hamster wheel of trying to be liked anymore. If you're going to walk into a space and already know that you are disliked and you're not having to prove yourself because whatever judgments have already been made, you are kind of free to totally be you. Do you? I've had some experience with this recently. (laughs) I have had some experience in my personal life or my other life. I do some political work and I have been in some spaces where I was wildly and passionately disliked by a lot of people. And at first it was really intimidating, but as I quit kind of trying to fight that, quit feeling hurt or quit trying to, I don't know, appease or be more appropriate, I found a tremendous amount of freedom that I could do what I needed to do in that space without sort of pandering for approval. I mean, the vast majority of the time, the deep desire to be liked causes you to be a little less bold and a little less creative and a little less loud and a little less confronting. It leaves you being a little less you so that you can conform and be appropriate and you're hoping you're going to be liked. We mold ourselves into versions of ourselves that we think are more acceptable or likable. We kind of turn down the light, if not turn it off completely to avoid being loud or difficult. I mean, we talk a lot in the coaching world about radical self-acceptance being the path to freedom. But I don't think you can radically accept yourself if you are hooked in to being liked. And being liked is kind of a, I don't know, a reptilian instinct. I mean, the very basic level, we are sort of reptilian programmed to know that we are safer if our tribe likes us. They're more likely to come to our aid if we need it. But we've kind of outgrown some of that tribal reptilian programming that still runs rampant in our lives. If you start with the baseline assumption or baseline assumption that no one's going to like you anyway, you're free to bring your genius and your light without reservation. You can say and do and be anything you want to because you've got nothing to lose in the end. You don't need to be liked to be powerful. It might help, but I don't think it's important necessarily. It's certainly not a required component of being powerful. Most of history's greatest leaders and change agents probably weren't innately likable people. Certainly not everyone around them probably liked them. And there's nothing intrinsically wrong being liked. However, being loved for really, really, really who you are, deeply loved, which I think you have to be vulnerable and exposed for that, Being loved for who you really are, that is a sweet spot that you might want to aim for. And in order to be vulnerable and exposed in that way, you're going to have to give up 
on the being liked game anyhow, because you're never going to allow yourself to be that vulnerable and that exposed to be deeply loved when you're clamoring for approval. You're always going to be censoring yourself. So first rule I want you to question is that being liked is important. And the new concept that I'd like you to play with to introduce is assume that no one likes you and it's totally okay that you're willing to operate your brightest and boldest in the world from that place. It freedom feels good. Okay. Number two, decide that fitting in is the sure path to failure and set yourself up to stick out to like just stick out as a sore thumb at all costs. I mean, that kind of, runs in the same vein, right, as wanting to be liked. We don't want to stick out. We don't want to be noticed. I mean, we put children in school at a very young age, and the very first thing we teach them is how to fit in and follow the rules. I mean, unless they're doing it by sort of uber-performing, anytime a child actually stands out in some way, they often get punished or shunned for it. Women spend billions of dollars every year their flaws and cover up their faces and trying to dress and look like everyone else does and when they can't they feel like they aren't good enough and they continue to be in that spins and spin cycle that is spin and spin spin and spin cycle to try and meet these sort of beauty norms and social standards and the problem is is there is no normal but we continue to think that we want to be that I mean, the most beautiful in the women in the world are truly unique in some way. They actually very much stand out. And yet we're all trying to fit in. I mean, social media has become a breeding ground for this. I mean, we want to appear on social media like everything's perfect or normal, quote, perfect or normal. And we toss out all of our best stuff on social media. We never show, like, the outtakes, right? We don't want to appear like anything is off-norm or off-standard. Social media has become this breeding ground for normalcy, where we sort of compare our normalcy against other people's normalcy and try not to, and, and try not to stand out. I mean, that high end of the norm scale looking perfect, but certainly not looking like you are unusual in any way. And it sounds like we're talking about something that happens in high school. I mean, peer pressure is a thing. Peer pressure is a thing that really causes us to desperately want to fit in. However, unfortunately, it's high school and adulthood until death for a lot of people that most of us are really struggling to do one thing, fit in. And here's the thing. Anyone who's extraordinary at anything stands out. Anyone who accomplishes great things stands out. Anyone who is wildly creative, and I know that a lot of you are creative types, wildly creative people stand out. Anyone who changes the world or changes lives is definitely going to stand out. You are not going to do those things by being in the middle of the herd. Aiming to fit in means setting your trajectory straight for the middle of the status quo, and there's not much magic happening there. If you fit in too well, chances are very high you're not living up to your potential. Because potential always pushes sort of the parameters or the edges of what's, quote, normal. So you may not know that you're doing it, right? Like you don't get up in the morning as an adult woman or a man probably looking in the mirror and say, I really hope I can fit in today like we did when we were in high school. But chances are pretty high there is part of your psychology, your subconscious, or maybe even not sub, maybe even your conscious mind is still telling you, pushing you 
to find a way to fit in. Like shake that completely up and maybe force yourself to find ways to stand out, to step out of the crowd, to be noticed for being different. And chances are very high that's going to produce a significantly different result in your life. The third rule that I would like you to consider changing are the rules that we have around rejection. I mean, all of these are similar, right? Being rejected is the opposite of being liked, right? So we don't want to be rejected. People will avoid rejection like the plague. I mean, what I would like you to contemplate is using rejection as a compass point, but the opposite of what most people do. Most people use it as a compass point to move away from. I'm saying maybe use rejection as a compass point to aim from or aim towards. I mean, rejection's not life and death. It doesn't feel good, but we live through rejection all the time. We know we can. And oftentimes, I would say almost always, actually, rejection serves as a bumper that keeps us on the right path instead of veering off on wrong paths. I mean, when I look at relationships as a relationship coach, and certainly even in my life, where I have been rejected actually kept me moving towards the love of my life. I see this in careers where people don't get jobs or they get fired. It keeps them moving towards a better destination in their career lives. I mean, there's so many ways that rejection actually serves us because it does create that bumper, sort of that that nice, loving guardrail around you that keeps you moving in the direction that you're supposed to go. And in that way, rejection is actually a pretty friendly force. And we tend to take it really personally as if it's innately about our value when it rarely is. I mean, rejection is almost always about circumstance and not worth. And sometimes rejection is more of a not now kind of proposition rather than a not ever proposition. But most people are so sensitive to rejection that if they get that not now answer, they internalize it, they make it personal, and they don't even wrap back around to check in on later if they really wanted something. I mean, when you aim for rejection, it can miraculously lead you to your purpose and a deeper meaning in life. When you knock on a hundred doors, you look for a miracle, and the hundredth door opened, you got your miracle. But if you knocked on ten doors and you didn't like the way it felt to be rejected, and you quit knocking, sure, you might have saved yourself 90 rejections or 89 rejections, but you didn't get your miracle. That willingness to continue to move forward through rejection ultimately does open doors. Luck tends to favor those who make the big acts and take the scary risks. Massive winds kind of live in the margins, and they can feel very vulnerable, and they can involve a possibility of high rejection. However, when you let go of taking that rejection personally, the risk actually becomes very small, no matter how big your ask is or how far you're reaching. I mean, you can bet that a pile of rejections almost always sits on the desk of every best-selling author and chart-topping musician. Every leading lady or leading man can wallpaper a house with rejection letters. Any candidate who's ever run for office was probably rejected by millions of voters just getting there, even if they won. Not everybody votes for you. I mean, that's a, that's a lot of rejection. Almost everyone who's found great love has walked through some muggy waters of being vulnerable to rejection. And even when in a relationship where great love exists, vulnerability still brings up 
the possibility of rejection. And yet when you're willing to own that possibility and befriend it, the payoff for making a friendly relationship with rejection is really powerful. If you set your compass by the number of risks you take instead of the number of rejections you get, rejection totally loses its sting. I mean, I did a thing. A coach once asked me to go out and find myself 50 rejection. And we were talking about building my coaching business initially. I mean, but there were a lot of things going on in my life right then. And I think the reason the coach identified this as a solid activity for me is because I was facing a lot of rejection in my personal life and my business. And so I think he saw the truth in the power of learning to befriend rejection. And I'd had some big hits. And they seemed massive, but honestly, I mean, it was one or two big rejections. It wasn't that big of a deal. And when I set out to get rejected 50 times, like I started making asks, I started taking risks, I started putting myself out there, I found that it was way harder to get 50 rejections than I ever imagined because the universe likes to say yes. It's just that we tend to withdraw so, in, so, so profoundly when we hear no. The universe likes to say yes. Greatness is usually buried under a mountain of rejection, and most people won't dig there. However, if you make it your mission to rejection-proof yourself, you'll have no problem mining through that mountain to get to the gold, and it's usually not very far underneath the surface. Much easier to get to than you ever think it's going to be. As long as you don't let rejection define fear of rejection, rejection itself or fear of rejection, define the risks you're willing to take. So those are my three unorthodox rules for life that might make it easier for you to win at a game that you are playing differently. Assume that no one likes you and be totally all right with that. Decide that fitting in is a sure path to failure and set yourself up to stick out at all costs and use rejection as a compass point, not to avoid, but to aim for. I dare you to try them on. Give it a in and see how it works out. I'd love to hear from you. If you do, and I'd love to hear from you anyway, if you want to get in touch with me, you can reach me at lisamhayes.com. That's Lisa Marie Hayes. So it's lisamhayes.com. Big love to you. There is no choice in life that will have more impact on your happiness than who you choose to share it with. Everyone wants to find that one big love. However, most people are looking for that love kind of like they would play the lottery. Finding great love is not a game of chance. Score Your Soulmate by Lisa M. Hayes is a by-the-numbers guide to finding the love of your life and creating a life you love. Score Your Soulmate is a step-by-step soulmate finding formula that anyone can follow. What you will get along the way is a swoon-worthy life you'll want to share with that perfect someone. You can find Score Your Soulmate on Amazon or your local bookstore. Get your copy and start your journey to happily ever after today. Thank you for joining us on Love, Life, and Law of Attraction. 
We hope you enjoyed the show, and we'll see you back here next week. For more information, you can find me at lisamhage.com. Oh.